0: Welcome to the Vine Podcast, or perhaps better stated, welcome back to the Vine Podcast. This is Warren, and we kind of went dark for a while and haven't produced any new episodes in quite a while, but we have plans to begin utilizing this feed again as a place to host conversations, to discuss various topics, and to share stories. And this episode is the first in what we hope will be an ongoing series entitled Vine Stories. And in this series, we're going to hear some of the life and faith stories of some of our folks at the Vine. These episodes will likely be interspersed with other episodes and conversations, and our hope is that in hearing the stories of others, we will get to know each other better and also to, to gain deeper appreciation in perspective, for what God is doing in and amongst us at the Vine. While these stories will have the most natural and obvious connection for those who are part of the Vine or those who otherwise know the individuals who are featured in the episodes, we also think that the stories of faith, resiliency, struggle, grief, victories, perseverance, and more will be an encouragement to anyone who might listen. Today's episode features Bridget Jarrett. Bridget has shared parts of her story in various places and at various times with our church family in the past. And in this episode, she talks about the faith journey of someone who has always held doubt and faith together while never losing hope or a desire to know God more intimately. Bridget's journey and story includes the loss of her brother, who died by suicide in 2016. And his death obviously had an impact on Bridget's wrestling with things like faith, doubt, and hope. And while Bridget never discusses any graphic content connected to her brother's death, we do want to at least let listeners know that content related to suicide is present within this episode. And so with all that being said, Here's my conversation with Bridget, and we hope that it is a blessing to any who would listen. Well, Bridget, thank you for doing this with us today. So I know that you've shared some of your conver- some of your story and kind of faith journey in some different venues. Um, when you you preached with for us recently, and you shared some of your story there, and. Even several years ago on a Wednesday night, I know you shared some about, we did a Wednesday night about grief, and you shared some about your brother's death and kind of how that impacted your 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 faith journey there. And so I appreciate you, you kind of sitting down with us again to share, I guess, a more all encompassing look at your faith journey and all that entails. And so really, I think ever since I've known you, I feel like you've really been an advocate for doubt and faith and the relationship between those two things and so in some of our communication leading up to this you you said that you described your faith journey as doubt while still believing and so and and you said that was even true before your brother's death which we'll get to in a little bit so maybe we can just start there so what are some of your kind of I guess the beginning of your faith journey What, what did that look like and how did doubt play a role there
1: Um, Well, I I grew up in a very Catholic home, um, and a lot of my childhood, my grandmother lived with me, and she was a very, very devout Catholic. Um, And I grew up going to church and being an altar server and being very um, involved in in that ministry there, Um, and at the same time, I always just had a lot of questions. I was just a kid with a lot of questions. And I would ask those questions often of the adults around me. Um, And sometimes I think to the point that it would annoy people. Um, And they didn't always have the answers to my questions. Uh, I remember being kind of feeling worried about myself as a little kid that I didn't but I felt from a young age that I didn't have the faith that of the people that I saw around me. Like I, my grandmother and I were very close. And I remember at nighttime, I shared a bed with her most nights, and hearing her pray the rosary every night. And she just had no doubt that God existed, and that her husband who had died many like way before I was born, that she was going to see him again. She just like it was like she just knew that she was praying to God, and I remember being really little and thinking, like, but is that real? I mean, like, is there for sure a God? And, um, but at the same time, having that desire for God to be real. Like, I, I didn't have, I never have had a very good imagination. <laughs> um, I, do, I don't have a very good imagination. I'm not creative. Like, I, I don't have much of an imagination, but as a child, when I did imagine, it always had to do with God. Like imagining conversations with God, imagining angels around me. Like remember Touched by an Angel for mm-hmm. that show? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I remember being an altar server and at night services there were lights in the in the beautiful church that I grew up in. Lights that would like light light up on people's heads and me imagining that they were angels. Like I like all of my imaginations had to do with with God. Hmm. And so
0: so were most of the questions that you had about God about like whether or not he existed was that kind of the, the yes like process? how do you know
1: for sure I think because I've always been pretty like logical and like how do you know for sure and and like what proof is there so makes sense mm-hmm. and so you know I, I we watched a lot of um, my grandmother also really liked Unsolved Mysteries so like, that also scarred me a lot as a six. <laughs> I didn't know I was a six at the time. But um, uh, there were, you know, stories about, you know, people seeing angels or having near-death experiences and things like that. And while it would intrigue me, it also would kind of freak me out. And so there was always this tension of, like, I wanted to know, but also I was scared of it and scared of like how big I thought God was like if there is a God he knows everything I think that part of that is like growing up Catholic like he knows all of your sins and all the all the things and so um yeah I just yeah I, I just really struggle with that and because of that I was like the kid in Sunday school class or in we call the CCD who had all these questions and the kids around me were like stop asking questions (laughs) like none of them cared and I was just like we're just trying to get through
0: this (laughs) yeah
1: like I was the really uncool kid who didn't you know goof around and stuff because I was really interested in like what I thought these people these adults obviously knew more than I did because they seemed so sure
0: yeah so was your grandmother kind of the picture your was she the picture of faith for you did you feel like
1: oh yes Her, and my mom, I mean, my mom's always been a very devout person, lots of, I mean, she has so much faith, and um, both my parents grew up Catholic, and my my dad's sister, Peg, was a nun until her death, and um, I wasn't as much around my dad's side of the family, because they lived all the way up in New York, so I didn't get to see them as much, but, um, you know, I'd hear stories of my grandfather, my dad's dad, who uh, prayed every morning, like, woke up, got on his knees pray the rosary every morning and so like just faith like the idea that like that God is around you was just a big part of the way I was raised but there were times when I was like well I don't feel that so like I didn't always feel mm-hmm. that and I wanted to know why they seemed so sure does that make sense yeah yeah yeah
0: so 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 uh, so you mentioned bringing those questions up in class. Were those questions that you also like would ask your mom and grandmother?
1: Yes, and you know, my grandma would just say, "Well, of course there's a God." and You know, of, of course. Like look at look at the world around us. Look at look at you. You're a miracle. I was a I was a preemie, and I um I was I don't know four pounds when I was born, and. So my mom and my grandmother will say, like, you're a miracle. Like, the fact that you're here, you're a miracle. So, um, but I mean, they, I, I mean, how do, like, even now when my kids have questions, I don't know if I have good answers for them. You know what I mean? I just, I say, well, that's part of being a Christian is we struggle with these things, but we have faith at the same time. That's what faith is. It's not always knowing
0: it yeah. it's hard to have concrete answers about faith. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: that's which I think is, is a cool way then to sort of connect imagination to that as a kid then. In the absence like in the absence of, of proof, did did you feel like you kind of filled that, I guess, void that you felt looking for proof with, with imagination then?
1: I I think so. Um and like I think it is interesting that my imagination was like limited to God, <laughs> like that was that was the only way I did imagine, and I I did imagine a lot of conversations with God as a kid, which I think is looking back like yeah that's probably pretty weird, but
0: so I know you, so you're a librarian now. Most of our <laughs> people probably know that. Did you read a lot as a kid too?
1: Oh, I mean I, yeah, I read a ton. Um,
0: but you, and, even still, so most of your imagination bandwidth though still went towards like God and faith stuff. hmm Yeah.
1: Which is weird because I'm like a big fantasy nerd. Like I love reading, you know, anything with fantasy. But um yeah, yeah. And I think because I realized that about myself that God intrigued me, then as I got old enough to search for myself, I started reading more nonfiction and more um, like I don't know, many high schoolers in my my age, who are reading like C.S. Lewis, but like trying to figure out, okay, what do I believe? What do I think about this? Um, actually, I was I was actually a religion major my first semester of college because I'm I was always even just not just Christianity, but like how we as humans all long for God has fascinated me. How, like, we all do it in different uh, different cultures in different ways. Um, so I took a ton of religion classes when I was in college at NAU in Flagstaff. Um, and then I realized, I, I would, I, gosh, now that I look back, I guess I did that for two semesters. And then I realized, like, this is probably not a job with great job security. <laughs> like, I was so about, once being a six, like, so about security. I was like, this will not be a great long-term I thought I wanted to be a professor of religion um, and then realized, yeah, I probably should just be a teacher. That'll be a safer safer bet. Like, what if I'm not good enough at this? I won't be able to be a professor.
0: So so you started in in college as a religion studies major? Mm-hmm. So that was basically sort of your kind of, your way, to, would you say that was your way of kind of exploring for yourself then what, what your faith was going to be kind of going forward from there?
1: Yes. And I was still attending Mass, um, but I was reading, you know, texts from other religions, and um, I was real into Zoroastrianism, (laughs) like, (laughs) have you heard of Zoroastrianism? I have not. It actually predates Christianity and has a lot of the same um, themes and um, the idea of virgin birth and, like... Like that intrigued to me that mm-hmm. a culture way before Christianity started could could have the same kind of roots. Um. So so yeah yeah. In college was when I was really uh, just trying to figure out who I was, and I think that's why I connected so much with reading Rachel Held Evans books because mm. that's when her faith journey really kind of shifted was in college for her. Um, I mean, though I think she grew up with a lot more, she grew up feeling like she knew and then started to doubt in college. I was struggling with doubt my entire life, Um, but just reading her writings, it made me feel like, oh, okay, I'm not alone in that. Like, other people can feel that way and call themselves Christian at the same time. And she, um, she called herself a doubt-filled believer. And I was like, yeah, that that's definitely what I am. Like, if I'm filled with anything, it's doubt. Um, I don't know if it's faith any, any amount of the time. But I want it to be. And in, in fact, I went back and um, listened to, I don't know why, sometimes I like to listen to podcasts with her in them because I love mm-hmm. her voice. And she talked about how um, she she says this phrase on the days I believe this on the days I believe this. I'm like, "Yep." on the days I believe this, this is, this is the story I, I want to hold on to. She talked about how like even through all her doubt, the story of Jesus is so compelling and that's the one she's worth being wrong about. And I think I've come to that conclusion as well. Like Jesus and his story and his ministry and what he was preaching even if he wasn't what we believe he was, even if none of it's real, living by his standard of this is what it means to be a good human, this is what it means to be a good neighbor, like that I can follow. That, that's what I want to follow, um, even if he wasn't real. Mm.
0: That's good. Yeah. And for, for those who may not know Rachel Held Evans, as you said, she kind of... Was was a huge voice in kind of that, quote-unquote, deconstruction, kind of yes. re-examining what you kind of grew up with and the faith you grew up with, and then did a tremendous job of writing about that and podcasting about that and sharing about that. And then, unfortunately, she died, well, I guess, a couple of years ago. Yes. Right. Um, and right.
1: So, I want to say right. I can't even remember now, but...
0: that's a That's a huge voice that we miss now, for
1: sure, but... And I don't even know how I found her. I, I think I had, because I didn't grow up in any kind of evangelical space, really. Um, but I was searching for voices of people who were Christian and progressive at the same time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think I had found her through probably Jen Hatmaker, because she was kind of just a bigger voice in the In that same progressive, kind of stream. Yes, yeah. like prog- what they would call progressive Christianity. Um, so I found, I think I found uh, Rachel through Jen and I thought it, was, it was like I found my person who like understood like I cried for days when she died even though I never met her because her writings were just so influential in my my journey as a
2: human but
0: <laughs> well, I think it is a big thing I know it was a big thing for me almost to like that just giving yourself permission to believe that faith and being a christian doesn't have to look like one thing that it can look it doesn't have to look like this person's faith or life or whatever mm-hmm. that it can it can include questions and like that was I, I think college probably was an influential time for a lot of us especially those of us who grew up with one version of faith and have kind of moved to a different picture of it um, like i remember the the pinnacle moment for me in college was just, in, in terms of faith, one of them at least was just giving my giving myself permission to say I don't know, and yeah. and how, because because sort of the faith that I I felt like I gained through osmosis almost was to say that if you if you say I don't know it means you don't have enough faith and oh you have, yeah, you're uh, not strong enough in your faith you haven't studied enough or read enough or whatever but just being able to say. I don't know, was, was a huge, I think, moment for me that also happened in college. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and I think that especially after college and, you know, John and I got married. He grew up Church of Christ and I grew up Catholic and we were really struggling to find a church. And my my doubt hadn't gotten any more comforting or better. <laughs> and at the same time... I felt like in society as a whole the word Christian to me had a negative connotation. So I was struggling with how can I call myself a Christian if A, I doubt and B, what I think the word Christian stands for in our society right now is negative. Mm -hmm. Is being anti a lot of things that I wasn't necessarily against. So for the first seven years of our marriage, I was like, We can't go to we can't go to church. I can't call myself a Christian.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I had lots of friends who were very worried about me like not going to church and not having a church and you know, my mom ma- my mom worried about Helen not being baptized and had big, you know, arguments about that and um, but it's because I, I've always taken these things so seriously. Like, from a young age, so seriously that I was like, I can't say one thing and do another. I can't call myself a Christian, and I thought I couldn't call myself a Christian and say, well, I mean, if he was real, or if he really was the Son of God. I can't call myself a Christian and have people think that I believe A, B, or C about the way society should be because I call myself a Christian. So, even here at the Vine, it probably took... Four, five years of coming to the vine and being a member and being able to say to people, I'm a Christian.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I couldn't get those words out. I could say, I go to a church and my church is great, you should come. <laughs> but I couldn't say I'm a Christian until probably a
0: couple years ago. Interesting. So. so So you mentioned that you and John grew up in different faith backgrounds. I think a lot a lot of our people um, may, may know that, that John, yeah, grew up in, with a Church of Christ background, you Catholic. And so, what did the faith conversations look like between the two of you for those first seven years of marriage as y'all are kind of navigating through that?
1: Um, you know, we didn't, we had, I mean, we obviously had conversations, um, but he's so anti conflict that. He would, you know, he would say, well, why don't we try this church? And we would. We tried lots of churches. Yeah. Lots of churches. And um, it would be like we'd go two or three or four times, and then something would happen. I'd be like, nope, can't go there. And I'd have different reasons. Um, I didn't like something the preacher preached about, or <laughs> which is horrible to say, but I mean, it was, nope, I can't raise my kid with... Someone saying something like that, or mainly it was um, churches <laughs> churches preaching against another denomination, which I did, I I've never really understood that like why I put your energy in preaching against other Christians. Um, so we I think we were on the same page of if one or one of us felt uncomfortable, that wasn't going to be a place we were going to continue to try to go to, even if we've been eight times like we were you know if we got it for several months if one of us became uncomfortable it was gonna we're gonna move on but he was the one who found the vine he'd read um some of sean palmer's writings and thought that i would be agreeable to what he was (laughs) what he was preaching so
0: so what so what did it mean for for you individually and for y'all as a family to to find the vine and feel like it was a place that you could go and be a part of
1: Oh my gosh, I meant everything. I mean um and I, I t- and I'm not a person who necessarily believes that like God directs us in certain places, like I struggle with that. And we've talked about this. I don't necessarily believe in like fate versus coincidence right. and um but we found the vine when oh. Jenny was about three months old and we very quickly just felt loved and cared for and pulled into small group, which other churches had tried to pull us into small group. So it wasn't like there were other churches that were welcoming, but it was the first time I really felt um like, wow, these people are very real and I did ask questions and I think I even asked John Palmer like, Can I call myself a Christian if I don't always believe? And he was like, Sure. Like you know, so um but I think I've told you this before. I, I was up late one night nursing Jenny when she was a baby. And, um, this is like the only spiritual experience I've ever had in my whole life. So like I, I even like hesitate to tell people cause I think it's very weird and I could just be, have been like really tired, but, um, <laughs> I had been praying and I've always prayed even when I, don't necessarily believe it's going to anything because I think prayer is good for just calming anxiety um, but I remember we had been going to the mine for a few months and I just kind of wanted like I just kept praying like I hope that this is where we're supposed to be like I hope that this is a good thing to put energy towards because it's something it, we had just bounced around for so long and I just prayed, like I would love a sign. I would love to know that we're in the right place and this is where we're supposed to be. And I heard a voice in my head, and it was not mine. It was like a male voice, and it kept saying, John something or other, like a number, numbers. And I don't know the Bible very well at all when it comes to like memorizing verses. I don't and I definitely didn't then. Like I haven't really grown in that aspect. Um, But I kept hearing that and I I was like so tired. I kept thinking well, I'm probably thinking about John my husband and and then finally I like woke up and I thought that's a Bible verse and I grabbed my phone and pulled it up and it was the Bible verse in John that says the vine and the branches. Mm I am the vine and the branches and I thought well, if I've ever had a sign in my whole life, I guess this it this one. And a couple months later, my brother died.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't think I could have gotten through that first year or the year since without the people that I've met here. So, yeah.
0: So, yeah. So, so I know that you, you, you've talked about that experience before, about your brother's death. And so for, for those who don't know, can you kind of share some of the story and... and what happened, and what did you kind of experience and go through in, in the kind of immediate aftermath of that?
1: Um, my, my brother, Dominic, uh, took his own life on March first, two 2016. Um, it was completely unexpected. Even though he'd struggled with depression his whole life, um, we thought he was doing a lot better. He was about to graduate from college. So it was, it was absolutely devastating. And my mom was at my house when we found out. And the first thing I did is I looked at John, and he said, we have to call people from church. And it was not my first reaction. But Sean Palmer came and sat with us. And um, and then in the weeks after, just everyone was I remember thinking I can't go back to, I can't go back to church, like I won't be able to, um, I won't be able to handle it, like I'll just cry the whole time. And um, I, I did, I want to say like two weeks after he died I finally went I decided to go back and I did cry through the entire service, but um, you know, like Emily Payne and Carrie Martin and Rochelle Palmer they just held my hand and told me we're here for you this is what church is supposed to be this is why we do life together so we can be for with other people in these hard times and so um I mean it definitely didn't help my doubt doubting problem (laughs) Uh, I was super angry For a long time. Still sometimes. Really angry. But, um, I feel like I struggled with doubt my whole childhood and my whole young adulthood to a point of like, well, how do we know for sure? And Mm -hmm. having questions, like mainly questioning. And then Dominic's death made me think, oh yeah, no, God doesn't exist. There's no way. Like how could God create someone as beautiful and kind as my brother and let him die so lonely um, and I think I still struggle with that like why does a, a God that we profess to be so all-powerful and benevolent like both those things
2: yeah
1: God is completely powerful and completely good why do we have such a broken world like how is that okay um, But I think I'm starting to believe more now that God's a lot like a parent. (laughs) Like you want the best for your kids, but you can't control them, Mm -hmm. right? Like we have free will, you know that. So the world is the way it is because we as humans can do what we want. I think God's more of a completely good creator and so i think that's also kind of shaped my prayer life i think i was taught a little bit growing up that when you pray you can pray for whatever you need like growing up catholic you could pray to a certain not to a certain saint but ask a saint for intercession right like you lost yeah. your car keys saint anthony will help you find what you need and like we're struggling for money let's pray that we can win the lottery like that god is almost like a genie and I don't believe that at all anymore. I believe that prayer is to help mold me into the person that God wants me to be and to have God guide me to be the change that, that he wants to see on this earth. Like that's what prayer is for, to help me be him on earth because God can't control every little aspect of our lives. Some
0: extent. Yeah, I think absolutely. I, I think I think it in a lot of times when we struggle with this doubt, it really I think what it what it when, or when we have questions about like why does God let bad things happen basically, the all the different versions of that. It it really comes down to I think, yeah, like why why isn't God controlling more stuff is kinda of what it comes down to basically, which I think you yeah. kind of just expressed. And and yeah I I do think it is God's ultimate love for us in letting us have free will mm-hmm. that that we would we would call an overbearing over controlling parent you know a helicopter parent or whatever but we kind of want God to be a helicopter parent so yeah in, in in the way in the questions that we have for him at least and and I think you so you mentioned that so in the, in the aftermath of Dominic's death you said that was sort of if, if I'm remembering what you said correctly, sort of you experiencing the best of what church could be. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, and and so I, I know a lot of times then, too, in those moments, as you're kind of wrestling with how can a benevolent and all-powerful God let something like this happen, I think sometimes what happens in those situations is, especially if you express those things to other Christians, you kind of get, like, canned answers that... Are, are sort of an attempt to give you peace or comfort in that situation mm-hmm. but don't always come across that way. <laughs> so I'm I'm wondering in terms of like what people what people said or what people did or how people helped to na- help helped you navigate through that, what what was helpful and what wasn't, I guess.
1: Um I think that I mean, we've had this conversation so many times, the the worst thing people ever said was, everything happens for a reason. Like, God has a plan, everything happens for a reason. Um, And I still don't believe that, because there's, I mean, so much more good Dominic could have done on this earth if he had lived. I have no doubt about that. Like, he would have been an amazing father and husband and he was so creative. The art and the writing that he put out in the world in the short time that he was doing it was way beyond, beyond his years. And so, I don't believe that there was like a greater purpose for his death. Like that that was um, like what God intended. I don't I don't believe that. Um, so that bothered me a lot when people would say everything happens for a reason. Like, does it? Doesn't. Um, but I think I did get to a point where I realized that everything that does happen can have a positive outcome if we allow it. And I had a lot of people here who kind of helped me figure that out. That like through my brother's death, I've been able to connect to other people who've lost someone through suicide. I've been able to be there for people who've lost other people that they love in tragic circumstances and been able to say I'm so sorry, there's nothing that makes it better because there's not. But I'm here for you. I'm here to talk if you need to talk. Um, I'm here to just veg out and watch TV with you if you want to do that instead. I'll make you all the enchiladas, (laughs) you know. So I think just it wasn't necessarily what anybody could say to me that helped. It was just the being there.
0: The presence. The presence
1: and not making me feel like I was a burden when I wasn't Mm. my normal happy extroverted self because that's the me that most people I think know but I couldn't be that person for a couple of years, so um, I think that when someone's going through that kind of grief, you can't say anything that's going to make them feel better, because it doesn't. Nothing does. No platitudes, nothing written on a card, but just knowing that that you're not burdening them um, by just being in grief. And I will say, and I've read this a lot since my brother died, when people bring up Dominic, that is a good thing. Like I, I, there were a lot of people around me who like wouldn't talk about him and didn't want to talk about like what happened. Mm-hmm. And even in school, like working in schools, I'd walk down the hall and I could hear people saying, "Our Go, brother God just died," and I'd want to turn around and be like, "You can say it louder. Like I know it. You're not reminding me." <laughs> <laughs> you know. So.
0: Yeah, and we so we did a Wednesday night years ago about grief which is where I think was probably the first time I heard you share extensively about Dominic's death um, and Dominic's life. And, and that, that's, that's the one thing that, that stuck with me from that conversation was I, I seem to remember you saying something like that and something to the effect of, and so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that when you would bring up Dominic to other people, that there's almost like this, you can see their expressions sort of change. Um, and and where you want to just, like, remember happy memories and have happy, you know, enjoyable conversations about Dominic, when you bring him up to other people, it's like there's a different look that comes into their eyes, and it's it's awkward, it's uncomfortable a lot of times for those other people. Is that, am I remembering that correctly?
1: And I think specifically once people found out how he died... That,
0: that
1: impacted made, it too. Oh, 100%. I think, not that I've lost a lot of people in my life, but I think that the stigma around mental illness still, even though it's, right. I think it's a lot more um, accepted in the mainstream now than it used to be, but the stigma around suicide, the stigma around mental illness, the stigma, or, the, the I think, false belief that even my family put on ourselves of like, what did we do wrong? Like what? Mm. What as a family was wrong with us mm. that,
2: that led him to do this? Led
1: him to do this. Like, what could we have done? Um, it's almost like like a fear of contagion. Like, mm. does that make sense? I, yeah. So
0: you're not only like if if Dominic had died in a car accident, for instance. You may not have you, you. would have grief, but maybe not the other questions of like what What did I and we do that led him to this? Is that yes? It?
1: And I and I think you could see that in people's reaction to finding out that that was how he died. Was that oh, like what, like what led to that? And mm-hmm. I've had people straight up ask me that, like what. So what do you think led to to that and for him and that's a hard thing to answer because it's a ho- whole host of things that can sometimes lead people to make that decision. And Sure. Um, is it
0: something that you still wrestle with and try to answer? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, this is the time of year when we have to do like the suicide awareness trainings at school, and I knew all of those things. I knew all the signs, and I was the last person to talk to him. And I had no clue. No clue. So, yes, and I and I'm sure that that it that reaction that people had is like that to an extent with any kind of grief, because I think people are very uncomfortable with grief. Um just in general until you've experienced it and then what I found was that the people who had also lost someone it was like instant camaraderie Mm. like we're both in this club we've I mean especially when it comes to suicide but but anyone who's lost someone really close to them they're like oh I also lost you know it's that I also lost someone yeah and that's a that is a gift it really is um, it's not what I would want ever. I would love to go my whole life without having lost someone, but um, but it is the gift.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I'm sure you're right that the way that he died impacts people's reaction to that. Because I think yeah, we're we're uncomfortable with grief grief in general, and we probably do things to try to sort of rush people through grief or I I think you see a lot of people like feeling like they need to apologize for their tears or for their whatever it is because of of a lot of times how it makes those around them feel or whatever so we've got a lot of that 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 I do think exists but I do think it's probably easier for us to talk about like a grandparent dying or something that sort of seems like just the more natural quote unquote natural course of life and that's something that I think probably more people can relate to, but yeah, when it's a situation like like someone dying by suicide, I think it's just it, it because it's something that we don't talk about much. That yeah, that that probably raises the sort of anxieties or awkwardness or uncomfortableness or whatever around
1: mm-hmm. just
0: those conversations. Yeah.
1: Well, and like just natural curiosity of people. Yeah. Like. I can't tell you how many people asked me way too early, like, how did he do it? Uh, I'd be like, you can't ask that (laughs) question, you know? Yeah. But um, it was weird, like people would be kind of taken back and then later come back with questions like that and I'd be like, that's the first thing you want to ask me about my brother? Yeah. And I I hate, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, I hate that he's so defined in other people's minds by his death, um,
0: and not by but not by his life. gifts, his hobbies, his interests, whatever else.
1: I think that's the most heartbreaking part of it for me. It's like he was so much more than that, and I hate that oh. that's like his story now. Is mm-hmm. he? He was this kid who committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Like I think about people who knew him from school. And what do they bring up now when they say his name? Probably not that he was like this crazy wicked skateboarder, and um, how many times he got got a concussion, like how he started a fight club at St. Marcus. Like, (laughs) like none of those like fun stories that those people who knew him probably just talk about that.
0: Well, I think that's the other piece of it that I remembered from what you shared in that class years ago that. I, I seem to, again, have a memory of you saying that you, you like it when people bring up Dominic to you in a positive way, like if something reminds them, for, especially for those who knew Dominic is what I remember you saying, like if, if there's something that, that reminds them of Dominic, uh, of skateboarding or art or whatever it is. Yeah. But I, I think there's still like, I think even you can know that sort of intellectually but it still feels like that's probably a barrier for people to say well i know she said this but if i bring it up now is now the wrong time or mm-hmm. there's still a feeling of but does she really want me to to say that in this moment you know like mm-hmm. do, so do you find that many people do uh unprompted share positive memories no no i mean
1: i i think my um my sisters, and my mom, my family—like we're better about it with each other. Yeah. Because we're the ones who know him the best, and we all crave that. I think.
0: So, so I'm, I'm curious because I mean I'm, I'm guessing. So pretty much everyone here at Divine had no personal connection to Dominic. No. No. And so, so I'm curious for those of us who didn't know him, what's What's a positive way we could bring him up or help his memory live on in positive ways? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I guess just asking about him. You know, like, asking what he was like. Like, my favorite memories of him when he was a kid, and um, what I even, I even like to, even though I have a horrible imagination, I like to imagine every year when his birthday comes, like, what he would have been like at that age. Mm-hmm. Like, he hit, would have been 30 um, last year. I think about, like, what he would have looked like at 30, what his life would might have been like at 30. Like, I, like, I would like to talk to people about those things, but I think that is hard for... I mean, like, even my husband, I think, have a hard time. And he knew Dominic from the time Dominic was... Um,
0: 14. So Well that's so That's interesting. So as as a kid your imagination is about God. And and now your imagination is what would Dominic be now. And there's there's a very spiritual connection I think to that of imagining things unseen.
1: Well, and I think it's always that like deep hope that there's something else. So like as a kid it was hoping that there's a God and now my belief and my hope is so connected to seeing him again. Mm. So that makes sense.
0: So when you imagine him now what do you see?
1: Um, I do see him happy. I've had a few dreams with him in them where he's like we're always in a crowd of people and he finds me and he gives me a big hug and tells me that he loves me. He was real good at that. He gave really good hugs and um, he was real good at seeing like if you were really okay or not. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: He'd ask me like are you sure you're okay? Are you really good? Um, And so I guess that's what I imagine. like that someday I hope I really do. I hope so much that I'll be able to see him and see him happy. So.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: That's good. So what, what were some of your favorite memories of him with, as a kid?
1: Oh God, he was just fearless. He was one of those like boys boys who he loved to like collect rocks, and I just find them like all over my room. <laughs> um, he would jump off of everything. Like we had, we lived in a two-bedroom, two-bath condo when I was a kid for part of my childhood. When my mom, my mom and dad had four kids living in a two-bedroom, two-bath condo, so like that's crazy. And the condo was two stories, and he would he would just like walk up. And jump, and then walk up further, and jump, and then walk up, and just he thought he could fly. Um. He, my favorite thing when he was older was, you know, he called me and wanted to talk to me about a band or a movie he saw, or because um, he was really into like things that nobody knew anything about.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: One time he came to Temple to visit, and um, he just want he was like he wanted to come in the house and I, you know, always try to make him food because I felt like he never ate enough food. And, um, he was like, Bridge. I called him bridge. Bridge. Like, I know you want me to eat and stuff, but, um, let's just go for a drive. And so, I said, okay, well, where do you want to go? So got like, I don't know, let's just go for a drive. So he made me, he didn't wanna want me to drive, he wanted me to get in his car so that he could play me new music. And we just
0: strut
1: around for a little while,
0: listening to his crazy music. <laughs> he has That's good. Yeah. So, so you've been through all that, and and I'm sure, obviously, the grief is still present with you, and something that impacts all this stuff about faith and doubt, and and so, how do you feel like what? If you if you were to kind of define the the connection and relationship between faith and doubt for you now, what is it what does it look like?
1: Um I think I'm just like you said, I'm more okay with saying I don't know than I've ever been. I don't know for sure mm-hmm. that I will ever see my brother again. Um I hope I do and that hope gives me um, something to look forward to and yeah I hope I hope but I don't know for sure Um, and I think that's okay I think that's okay Um, but I I think that I've if I've come anywhere with my faith journey, it's that I've gotten to the point where I've said, you know what, I don't know for sure. No one can. Anyone who says that they do know for sure is probably trying to sell you something. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I, I, I think I'm just more comfortable with saying, I don't know for sure. But everything up to this point in my life has led me to these relationships to this church, to this place where I am okay with saying, I don't know for sure, but the, the teachings of Jesus give me comfort and hope and a guidepost for what I want my life to look like, for how I can serve others. So I can call myself a Christian because of who Christ was, who Jesus was. How he led others. I can. I can say yes to that, mm. and hope all the other stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, thank, thank you for being willing to, to share your story with us and and be, be vulnerable and transparent about about your story and your life and and. Um, Until next time, thanks for listening and God bless.